0: Good morning, morning. I am Jim Davis, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. I'm the background pastor, and with a face like this, that's pretty good. So Merry Christmas, Christmas. are you ready? It's coming. So how do you prepare for something? Let's say you're going to go on a trip. How do you prepare for that trip? I remember my girls trying to pack for vacation when they were younger. They didn't prepare well. (laughs) Always something missing. Uh, Toothbrushes, contact lenses. Should I mention underwear? (laughs) Usually one of the first things we did on vacation was stop to buy something they had forgotten. How about preparing for a test? I want to see a raise of hands here. How many people, when they prepare for a test or in the past, did you cram for it? Yes, yes, I see those hands. How many of you did an all-nighter? Yes, yes. How many of you just winged it and didn't study at all? There you go, all right. On a more serious note, how many of you, when you're preparing your taxes, do you pull everything together methodically ahead of time? You don't have to raise your hand for this. (laughs) The IRS might be watching. (laughs) How many of you just throw up your hands in frustration? How many of you go down the street and get someone else to do your taxes for you? I see that nod there, yes. And since it's the season... How do you prepare for Christmas? Do you make a list of things to do, gifts to buy? Do you string up lights, get out the music, start baking? What do you do to prepare? Today is the first Sunday in Advent, and it's a time of preparation. And we're going to take a look today at John the Baptist. And he was called to prepare for something, something very special. I want us to take a look at a short video that gives us a quick glimpse into the life of John.
1: I never was much of a talker. I came by it honest, neither was my daddy. Well, he, uh, he got his mouth shut one time by a big old angel. I reckon that tend to make a fella careful. I got old enough, I left. I went out in the desert so I could think about it all. You know, the, 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 morning, the morning I left, my daddy, he, uh, he walked me down to the river. He handed me this note. He said these were some of the words he said over me when I was a baby, when he got his voice back. He told me to chew on him. You, my boy, are gonna go ahead of the Lord. Get everybody ready for them. You're going to tell them that they can have their sins forgiven. Tell them that God's kindness is going to shine on them like the rising sun. I did it. I, I I chewed on them, these words, for a long time. And then these words, they started chewing on me. Now, I felt this, uh, this weight on. So I, I went back to the river and, and I opened up my mouth and and the words just started pouring out of them like a swarm of bees. I, I heard myself fussing at the religious people and, and telling everybody to get straight with God and get baptized. i tell you the truth, I wasn't even sure what I was saying, but I just kept talking, talking and, and baptizing all the time with that weight on me. And then one morning I, I look up and there's this fella, he's walking toward me and, and I, I heard myself saying real quiet, almost under my breath, there he is. That's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away all our sins. He walked right up to me. I saw then it was my cousin, it was Jesus. I hadn't seen him in years. He told me to baptize him. I did it. And we're standing next to each other in the river and he's dripping wet. And I swear, I heard this voice like it's coming out the clouds saying, that's my boy. And I am pleased with him. Isn't that something? I could not take my eyes off of him. He was shining. He's shining, I'll tell you, like the, like the rising sun. And I felt that weight go off of me then. Because I knew I had done my job. I had had gone ahead of him. None of this was about me. Well, it never was. It was all about him. Well, it still is.
0: John had a burden that just wouldn't lift until he fulfilled his role to prepare the people, to prepare the way, to prepare the way for Jesus. But how do you prepare for the Messiah? What did it mean to prepare for his coming? So we're going to take a closer look and see what we can learn about preparing for Jesus ourselves. I mean, John prepared the people for Jesus' first coming, but maybe... He can prepare us for this upcoming Christmas season and maybe even for the return of Jesus. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, we're going to start off by reading the first six verses. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is who, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Confessing their sins. As we read that, part of the preparation and preparing the way for the Lord, John lived a little differently. His clothes didn't really make a fashion statement, yet they did make a statement. John was rebelling against the religious leaders and their fine clothing. Without words, he was letting people know that they were focusing on the wrong things. And there's a strong link between John's clothing and that of Elijah. And that's found in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 7-8. What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And then he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. So John is dressed as a prophet. And he is following in the footsteps of Elijah. John also ate differently, really differently So when we think of Christmas, how many of us think, boy, I can't wait till mom makes the locust and honey treats? (laughs) Now, locusts were considered clean to eat, according to the Old Testament law. In Leviticus, we read, all winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you and detestable to me, too. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. Doesn't that sound delicious? So how would you like your locust cooked? So like many a prophet, John is eating a simple and self-sufficient diet. And the key here is simple. It's not extravagant like the religious or political leaders of the day. One other thing to note, locusts are very symbolic in the Bible. And they represent divine wrath. And this foreshadows John's message to the people, especially to the leaders of Israel. Also, John hung out in a very different location than most people. He was out in the desert. Some translations say wilderness. Um, The term desert, when we think of it, we think of dry or barren. But in the Bible, the word desert and wilderness are interchangeable. It means a solitary place or a lonely place. As we saw in the video, it's a place where one can take time to think. And, and much of Israel's history is associated with desert. Israel was built on two sides by deserts. To the east there was the Arabian desert, and to the south was the Sinai wilderness. Parts of Israel itself were referred to as desert. And so the desert has a complex theological background in Israel. It's a place of wandering, a place of murmuring, a place of testing. But it's also a place where God gives guidance to his people. With Moses, it was in the form of a cloud or fire. With Jesus, it'll be solitude, spending 40 days in the wilderness. And with John, it's a time of preparation The desert is also used as a metaphor in Scripture to demonstrate God's power to transform, to bring new life, to bring salvation. In Hosea, we see the Lord's mercy on Israel and how it's tied with the desert. In Hosea, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Angkor a door of hope, and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Did you catch that in there? "The desert brought hope." We also see the prophet Isaiah refer to salvation coming from the desert. And this is what Matthew quotes. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is so significant, the location, that all four Gospels underscore that John was in the desert. And in this foreshadowing of what's going to take place with John the Baptist, he's preparing a way for the Lord. Now, as I mentioned, the desert has a lot of symbolism. It also has symbolism of the coming of a new exodus. In this case, from sin to salvation. And a call to rethink the comforts, the status of symbols, even what we think are necessities. And to rethink what is important in our lives. To have a change of mind and more importantly, a change of heart. So John dresses differently, he eats differently, he locates himself to a different location than most of society. But it's all for a purpose. Now I want to caution us though. For John, outward appearance was very important to his message. But outward appearance is not the major focus here. It's just revealing the heart of John as a prophet. As a caution to us, not to put too much emphasis on outward appearance, another prophet, way before John, was told what was important. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Paul in the New Testament says the same thing. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, and not about what is in the heart. As we prepare for Christmas and for the return of the Lord, the preparation is not to be focused solely on what people can see, what we wear, or even what they see us doing. The focus should be on our heart. And that is a much harder preparation than changing clothes or even changing some of our actions. For John, all this was done to point to the fact that he was different that he was indeed a prophet, that he was living a different lifestyle, and this was all to align with his message. We need to live differently. First with the heart, then with our actions. That's the summons, that's the call of John the Baptist. And so if someone was to look at us in our lifestyle today... Would they notice every, anything differently than compared to other people? Would they see difference in how we spend time or what we spend our money on? Would they see a difference in what we focus on or what our priorities are? Would they see a difference in the places that we go to? But again, that's just on the outside. A tougher question, a more important question, a more sobering thought is what does God see On the inside, how are we preparing our hearts? Is it for the here and now? Or is it our hearts being prepared for eternity? Now, I've referred to John as a prophet, and that is what he is, but exactly what is a prophet? A general designation can be God's servant or man of God. The servant was a humble person whose goal was to accomplish the task assigned by his master, which was God. So we have men like Elisha or Elijah or here John the Baptist, men who had a calling, who had a message from God that they were to communicate to others. They were spokesmen. Which is why many times in the Old Testament you read that the word of the Lord came to a particular prophet. And so John has a word of the Lord for the people of the land. Now, John's introduced to us by Matthew with a quote from the prophet Isaiah. I've mentioned that before. It's a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. But here's the full passage in Isaiah. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries... In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Comfort. Comfort my people. And so, John is this voice in the wilderness. He is to prepare the people for God that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Comfort, comfort my people. That's a pretty encouraging message, isn't it? Let them know that their iniquity is pardoned, that there is forgiveness. And that the Lord is coming. So in verses 7 through 10, let's read John's message to the people, to the leaders. Remember, comfort, comfort my people. So here's John's message. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Comfort comfort my people. John has a very uncomfortable message there. How how does this gel? His message is repent. How does that bring comfort? Sounds a little more like fire and brimstone, like sinners in the hands of an angry God. How would you react if I came down from the pulpit, which I'm going to do, And I said to this section over here, you brood of vipers, repent. Oh, you guys aren't getting off either. (laughs) Repent, you sinners. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Oh yeah, we got more. (laughs) The ax is already at the root of the tree. And every tree, every one of you that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's how John was preparing the people for Jesus. So if that's how he's preparing the people for Jesus, what is repentance? The word repentance literally means the act of changing one's mind. It goes beyond remorse or regret, feeling bad about one's sin. It even involves more than just turning away from sin. In its fullest sense, it's a complete change of direction. You move away from something but you also move toward something. You leave the past and you move toward the future. This is what John is preparing the people to do, to turn from their past their sins and to turn to the future Jesus. Now, true repentance involves several things. First, true repentance involves a sense of awareness of one's own guilt sinfulness, or helplessness. From Psalm 51, "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight.'" So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So in repentance, we have to understand, we have to know, have an awareness that we are guilty, we are sinful. Two, true repentance takes hold of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Psalm 130. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. True repentance takes hold of God's mercy. Three, true repentance means a change of attitude and action regarding sin. There's a hatred of sin. 2 Corinthians, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 4. True repentance results in a radical and persistent pursuit of holy living, walking with God in obedience to his commands. 2 Timothy, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful, to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So repentance involves a change of mind, heart, actions. And when we repent, we recognize that our sin is offensive to God. And so we do an about-face. We turn away from sin and we turn toward god we turn from the past and turn toward the future with christ so even though repentance is hard even though it sounds so harsh and negative it is the good news because when you confess you are forgiven and the relationship between you and god is restored there's mercy There is peace, there is joy, grace, hope. That is comforting. That is good news. Reconciliation between God and man is a focal point of the good news of Christmas. Christ came to restore this relationship. We can be forgiven, we can be saved from the coming wrath. In the Gospel of Luke, the angel proclaims, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Because being forgiven of our sins is good news of great joy. But we must receive it. John came to prepare the way. And that way is one of Repentance. And to receive the good news, we must confess. Romans chapter 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we claim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. God came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way our sins are forgiven. So when we think of preparing for Christmas spiritually, one of the ways that we do that is heeding the call of John the Baptist to repent. Because Christ came to forgive sinners. As the Apostle Paul wrote, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And so John is preparing the way for Jesus. And many believed John and came and repented of their sins and were baptized. But there was another group, a group of people who were not eager to repent, the Pharisees and Sadducees. The spiritual people of their day. Their hearts were hard and stubborn. To get these two groups to agree on anything is amazing. It would be like Democrats and Republicans sitting down for tea together, you know, just doesn't doesn't happen. Both were wrong, they couldn't agree on anything. The Sadducees would be the ultra-liberal group. The Pharisees would be the ultra-conservative. And they were both wrong. And they are not excited about the message of John the Baptist. Because they didn't think they had anything to repent of. For the leaders, the message of repentance is a very troubling message. But for the other people, it was one of hope. And the same is true today. For some of us, this is a very troubling message. But for others, it is one of hope. So, what group are we in? Are we willing to prepare to repent? Or do we want just the status quo to keep living life like we have been living it? Are we willing to change? If we truly want to prepare for the coming of the Lord, then we need to be willing to change. That is the message that John is bringing. Repent, change, prepare. And as part of that preparation, John describes the one who is to come. The one they should be seeking. Starting with verse you with water for repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than i whose sandals i am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire That's not how we picture Jesus at Christmas, is it? <laughs> but that is how we picture Jesus when He returns again. Worship team, if you'd start to come up, you see, John prepared the people for the first coming of Jesus, and we need to pick up the mantle on John, of John and help, if you will, prepare the way for the returning Messiah people need to hear about their sin people need to hear about repentance people need to hear about jesus they need to hear about hope about forgiveness about salvation about christ's return we need to prepare the way of the lord both within ourselves and for others as the popular saying goes normal is not coming back But Jesus is. So John has been preparing the way for Jesus. And at the end of this section of scripture, John's work is done. He prepared the way and Jesus is introduced. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, we went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, "This is my Son, whom I love; with him I am well pleased." John prepared the way for Jesus. And he could say, just as Paul said many years later, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. I hope... We are all preparing for that day. And that we can all, along with John and with Paul, say that we have prepared the way of the Lord. Amen? Amen.